Amen. You're doing all right, new day tonight, yeah? It's good. We've had a, a quality week um, together. It's just been such a privilege um, just to see everything that God's been doing, but genuinely believing that there's more things tonight that God wants to say to us uh, and things that God wants to do. Uh, if I do see your head dropping, I'm going to presume that either uh, you've fallen asleep or you're watching the Arsenal scores come in. Uh, I'm not very happy that people have started wearing shirts. We'll sort that out next year. We've got a long list of things that we're going to sort out for next year, and that will be one of them. Don't worry about that. Uh, listen, um, I don't have any slides to show you or pic- pictures to show you or, or anything like that. I don't have a dog. I'm not into cats, so we're not going to talk about any of that stuff. But let me tell you this, that when I was little, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my dad was a pastor, uh, and I suppose, unfortunately, there's a bit of a narrative that goes along with, with pastors' kids Uh, And actually, I know a few pastors' kids here that are doing all right, so well done you. Uh, And I mean that with all my heart. But I was a young lad that um, that started to go off the rails, I guess, when I was a little bit younger when it came to doing life with Jesus. And uh, by the age of like 14, 15 or so, I started getting into stuff that was pretty full on, um, messing around with drugs, selling drugs, getting in fights, getting arrested, all that kind of stuff, chasing after girls, being with girls. I was trying to find satisfaction in all of these things. And one of the things that God did, and I knew who God was, like from a young age, I knew who God was. I'd sat in environments like this. I'd gone to church regularly. I'd heard the gospel. I'd seen Jesus. And one of the things that God did in my life, um, in my early 20s, was he he shook my foundations, the foundations of my life. And the reason he done it was to turn my head back to him. I was walking in one direction, and the Lord God, the God of the Bible, personally came to me, and he shook the foundations of my life through the wonderful work as well of my beautiful wife, Vicky. Uh, And my foundations got a big out for Vicky, by the way, wherever she is. Uh, and, and he shook the foundations and, um, and he gave me an opportunity. Now listen, a few years later, as a Christian and even as a Christian leader, there was stuff that was going on in my life again and I had gone through a period of life where things were going okay and I, I hit some bumps in the road, some stuff happened to me that was really difficult to deal with, some stuff from my past started coming back up that I hadn't really processed properly And I got myself into a little bit of a mess again. And what happened was that the Lord came and once again, he shook my foundations and gave me opportunity to turn back to him. And on both those occasions, and I mentioned them on the first night, on both those occasions, what happened was that there was an opportunity through the revelation of what God gave me in terms of who he was for me to respond. And one of the things that we need to be really clear about when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to the Christian message, is there is an opportunity to repent and turn to God. So God doesn't simply just reveal himself to us and show himself to us, but whether it's you coming to faith for the first time or whether it's you're already a Christian and you're turning back to him, there's often moments in your life where we need to turn from doing one thing and we need to turn and say, I can only find the truth in Jesus Christ. So when I first came to faith in Jesus, it wasn't a case with all my mess that I'd been involved with. I couldn't just start dressing differently or talking differently or hanging out with different friends. That's some of what might needed to have happened. I mean, not my dress sense necessarily, but some friends need drop in and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, I had to make a decision to turn away from some stuff and turn to God. And he shook my foundations, the foundations of my life. In order to do that. 
And people over the last couple of years, we're hearing it all the time in all kinds of different ways with, with everything that's happened in the last couple of years, just saying we've, we've got to learn from the last two years. We can't be the same. When we come out of COVID, we can't be the same. After the murder of George Floyd, we can't be the same. We must go forward. And, and the foundations have been shaken and people keep saying, well, what's God doing? What, what's all this about? And I want to say this to you tonight. I honestly don't think it takes a genius or a prophet to emerge to understand what it is that God's about. Because I want to speak to you tonight as if speaking to God's people. And I know not not every single one of you here tonight will be, yep, I'm in, I'm God's people, and I know who Jesus is, and that's absolutely fine. But I want to speak to us tonight as God's people and say, listen, if God shakes the foundations of the world... If God does such a thing that it rattles us to to this kind of scale, in my mind, we can be sure of one thing, and you see it all the way through the Bible with individuals, but you see it with nations, you see it with his people all through history, see it with us all across this field, that when God shakes the foundations, he is calling a people back to himself. He's trying to get our attention. He's giving us opportunity to turn from going in one direction and turn back to start walking with him. We need to understand off the back of the last couple of years two just very simple things. Who is God, the God of the Bible? Who is he really? Who is he? And how do we... As his people, how do we genuinely relate to him? And that might sound like a really obvious thing to say. But you know, one of the things that's happened all through history, and it happens in our own lives, it happened in my life, where you go along for a little while and you're doing okay with the Lord God, and the reality is that who he is gets smaller and smaller and smaller. He becomes diminished in our understanding. And that's happened all through history. Moments where humanity turns away from God and he rattles the foundations of the world and they turn back to him and they repent and they turn back and they say, God, we're sorry. We see who you are. You're the one who created the birds in the sky and the clouds and the trees and the mountains. You're the one who created the seas and you are holy and you are worthy to be praised. And then time goes on. And humanity, classically, again, turns away from God. And the reality of who he is and how we relate to him becomes diminished. And as a result of this, and this is where I think we're probably at, if we're honest with ourselves right now, is we end up in a situation where we go through a period of time where we have quite a a small view of who God is and quite a grand view of who we are. And I don't mean of ourselves. I want to talk to you collectively as humanity. We have a grand view of who we are in comparison to who God is. And what tends to happen is that then we start to think of God as a bit of a tool in the toolbox. So day by day, we go through life. And it's not that we're not Christian. It's not that we don't believe in God. We believe in who God is. It's just the reality of who he is is diminished. And he becomes like a spanner in the toolbox. And one day we get up and we'll face a difficult challenge. And we'll say, God, I want to trust you for this challenge. The next day we get into a bit of bother. 
And we're saying, you know what, today I'm going to lean on my mate. Today I'm just going to get advice from my mate. He doesn't know who Jesus is, but he's a good guy. I'm going to talk to him. The next day we get into a bit of bother and we flick on YouTube and the next sensations come through. 13-year-old sitting up in Scunthorpe on the TV just going, here's some advice for life. And we say, today I'm not going to take advice from the Word of God or from God who created all things. It's going to be little Billy up in Scunthorpe on YouTube. The next day, we sort of think, do you know what? I'm not even going to listen to anybody. This day, I'm going to look to pornography to help and satisfy me. Today, I'm going to go into school, and I'm just going to look for people to give me attention because that's going to make me feel better. We're not finding the truth of the word of God and saying, you know what? The God who created all of this loves me. He chose me. He died for me. And we start to look and seek and search And in a bigger scale, what's starting to happen, I believe, and this this is something that I just want to say to us, New Day, we mustn't be under any illusion of how much the world has started to shape, not just individuals, but how much the world has started to shape the church and how we conduct relationship with God. Not only has the reality of who God is diminished in our understanding, but how we relate to him has also diminished in terms of what he is after from his people. And the good news is this, (laughs) when our view changes of God, he doesn't change at all. The God who created right at the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. He doesn't change. If you decide one day that God didn't do that, if you decide to turn your back on God for 20 years, it doesn't change at all. We're going double mics. It's loud. Do you want me to take this off? I'm just going to go double mic. I love that. I might get three by the end of the show. Let's do this. I know, right? The good news is God doesn't change. So you can be in a situation where you just palm God off for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. When you go back to him, he's not changed one little bit. Because he remains the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. That's good news. The other thing is this, is whether it's you as an individual, whether it's a whole generation or generations that turn from God and God has become diminished in a generation and how we relate to God has become diminished, not only does he not change, but his love and his affection towards his people also never, ever changes. He is passionately in love with his people. He is zealous for his people. He is determined to have relationship with his people But listen to this, New Day. Please hear me when I say this. He's not okay with just sharing the limelight with a load of followers. That ain't the deal. It's not like, yeah, I'll just be one of your mates. Yeah, I'll just fit in. I'll fit in. Whenever it works for you, we'll hang out. That's all good. It's the God of the Bible. It's the God who created all things. He's your saviour. He's the king. One day he's going to return. The trumpet's going to sound and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and every single person on planet earth is going to know that he is returning and he is back. And then in that moment, he will bring all things to an end and the new creation will be birthed and all those who are with him will be with him then and forever and ever and ever and ever. That's who he is. That's the reality of who our God is. He is holy. He is other. He is set apart. And so when we allow God to become diminished in terms of our relationship with him, he is zealous that that's not the case. 
Not because he wants to tell us off, not because he wants to crush us, but it's the best thing for us. The best place for us to be is not to be distracted by the world, but to see him for who he is. And the way that we see him, the Bible talks about a generation that seeks his face. The way that we do that is we spend time in the word of God. We spend time in the presence of God. We spend time with brothers and sisters asking and receiving and walking with him. And I want to put it to you very simply, I'm not here to slam anything in this generation. I'm talking to every generation that's represented here. I genuinely believe that in this nation, it is time to stop being distracted and to lift our heads once again and see the reality of who the God of the Bible really is and start thinking how we need to relate to him. That's where I would be at off the back of these last couple of years. The Lord God Almighty has shaken the foundations. And so New Day, let us not miss this moment. The foundations have been shaken. What a tragedy it would be if we just move on as if nothing happened. We must sit up and think and listen. Because there is a work for us to do. He longs, longs for a generation that will seek his face. Longs for hearts that are desperate toward him. Not just when we're at New Day. Not when you turn up on a Sunday. But men and women, young and old, that say, my life is all about him. I want more of him. I want to see his face. And I will do anything and everything it takes to do that. As we start to do that, Nations get changed. Schools will get changed. Colleges and universities will get changed. And I want to just take us through a story this evening. It's the story we'll find in 1 Samuel. And we're going to be covering a number of chapters. I'm not going to be reading them all through. But I'm just going to take us on a little bit of a journey. And it's a story where we're talking about the Israel nation. So... Just so that you guys know, when we look at Old Testament stories and we talk about the battles and we're going to be covering some battles tonight, um, this side of the cross of Jesus, this side of the resurrection, the Bible's really clear that our, our, the, the battle that we have isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and principalities of the evil one. And so when we're looking at stories like this, it's like a foreshadow of what's to come. So I'm going to try and help us do that a little bit. But when I'm talking about the battle... Don't get the wrong idea thinking that tonight's the night that we're all going to get tooled up and run across the nation and take it over for ourselves and New Day wins. Uh, That's not what's going on at all. We're talking about a battle in the Old Testament that helps us understand some of the spiritual battles, some of the battles that we need to win right now. So we're going to just start, um, if you want to follow it through with me, you're absolutely fine to do that. We're going to be working in 1 Samuel around chapter 4, but I'm just going to give a little bit of context. So the Israel nation... It's the nation that God has chosen. This is his people. So there's many nations on planet earth at this time when it was written, but the Israel nation is his nation. And he's won his people. He set them free from Egypt. um, And they've come on this incredible journey where they've seen God demonstrate his power, demonstrate his love and his grace and his mercy to them. And he brings them into the promised land. uh, And they've won victory after victory. Uh, And it's got to a point where in the nation, exactly what I was talking about earlier has happened. The reality of who God is has diminished bit by bit by bit. 
And as a nation, what they've ended up with is, yes, God exists, and we do believe in Yahweh, the God that set us free from, from Egypt, but also we're okay with having a few other gods around us as well. And so there's other gods that people will worship, there's other gods that people will look to, and there's a guy called Eli, and Eli is the priest of the nation, and Eli has got two sons, and quite frankly, these two sons are absolute wrong-uns. So these are two boys that are growing up as priests, growing up as the priest's sons, and and by right they are priests, but they're not really following God. Worse than that, it's not that they're just making a few mistakes here and there. They're robbing people's sacrifices that they're bringing to offer to God. And in fact, they're standing uh, at the temple gates and they're essentially seducing women and they're having sex with these women and they're just absolute wrongs and they're doing all of it in the knowledge of who God is and in his presence. And Eli, the dad, he tries to tell them off, tries to rebuke them, tries to tell them, listen, that's not how we do things. They don't really listen to him, and they carry on. And so it's fair to say that the Israel nation at this point is not in the best place. Now, at this point in the story, I just would want to say this, that I'm genuinely okay in moments like this where we start to compare ourselves with people in the story that aren't that great. Because I know what it is to be a wrong one. So for some of us, we need to just face up to the reality that there might be a moment tonight where we're like Eli's sons. Where we've signed up to the Christian faith, but in actual fact, we're, we're pretty content with doing things that we know are wrong. Not just simply wrong against others, but are wrong against God himself. For some of us, we're, we're like Eli himself, and we're like, we're watching people in the church, and we're watching people, our friends do things, and we're like, I sort of know it's wrong, but I'm not really going to do that much about it. It doesn't really matter. I've tried my best. I tried to have that little chat with him. It didn't really work, so we're just going to leave it there. And I think it's really important for us, New Day, to have a, have a sober assessment of where we're at. I'm not here just to say that you're all just really bad and I don't want to be friends with any of you. But I genuinely do believe, first of all, that all of us fall short of the glory of God, that we need a saviour, and it's okay to admit that. In fact, it's imperative that we do admit that. But also that we've ended up in a season, a season of life in history, a moment in history, where we need to have a sober look at where the church is at. A sober look at how we are really living our lives in the knowledge of what and who God is. What he's done for us and what he's going to do. It's important that we have moments where we're sober. Now listen, the Israel nation then are in this condition and they get to this place and they go up for this battle against the Philistines. Now the Philistines are like old school foes of the Israelites. It's sort of like Tottenham and Arsenal or Celtic and Rangers or Liverpool and Everton. It's like old school rivalry at its best. And the Philistines have come up against the Israelites again. And so the Israelites go out against them. They're the people of God and they go out what I would call pigeon chest. I've said this before, but a lot of you haven't been to New Day before. So pigeon chest is like what I used to do when I used to walk into the boozer when I was younger. And it's sort of like you pop your chest a little bit like this. Some of you know that that's what you do to try and be the big man as you walk into situations. So Israel have gone into this bit battle pigeon chest they're like we're going to do this because we're the people of God and there's a confidence in them that says well we're the people of God of course we're going to win and they go into this battle and guess what they get an absolute hiding 
They get a hiding. The people of God get a hiding and they get sent back. And they come back and they're scratching their heads and they're thinking, why on earth, if we're the people of God and God is our God, have we gone into this situation and why hasn't God prevailed? Why hasn't God won us this battle? So they start thinking and talking together and they say, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll go and get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was this box that was built Years before that, by Israel, God commanded it where they used to carry the law. You know, the Ten Commandments and Moses and all that, yeah? Someone give me a nod. Who knows Moses? You must know Moses, right? Yeah, come on. So they put the the law inside the the Ark of the Covenant. And and what used to happen is that Israel would carry the Ark of the Covenant. and, And it was basically a sign for the presence of God. And so it'd be a sign for victory. It'd be a sign for the presence of God. It used to go into the tabernacle. It was where God was. And so they're like, well, if God, if, if we went into battle and we lost, let's, let's go get God. The tool in the toolbox, right? So they go and get the Ark of the Covenant. They take it into battle. And guess who won the battle? The Philistines. The Ark gets carried into the Israel camp. And, and Eli's two sons are around the Ark. And, and all of a sudden, they're in this situation where not only did they lose the battle, but the Ark of the Covenant was also taken. It was taken by the enemy. And you end up with this dark moment for Israel where they're looking on and they're sort of thinking, what on earth has just happened? Now listen, this is why I'm saying that there are moments in life where God shakes the foundations of who we are and we're scratching our heads sort of thinking, well, if God's sovereign, how and why has he allowed this to happen? In this particular situation, God has allowed this to happen. And it's got nothing to do with his capability and it's got everything to do with his relationship between him and his people. Do you get that? Can you see that? It's got nothing. If God wants to win that battle, he wins it like that. No problem. It's got nothing to do with his capability and everything to do with the relationship between him and his people. Israel have got to a point where they're like, we don't really talk to God. We worship other gods. We live how we want to live, day to day. We'll do what we want. Now and again, we'll recognize him. If we're in a battle and we don't win it, we'll go and get him like a magic wand. God, you sort this out. God loves us too much to allow himself to be treated like a magic wand. It's not who he is. He's holy. He's mighty. He's the creator. He's awesome. You don't just get God out of your toolbox and wave him around a bit to sort out a situation. So it's not like God's left the building because he wants them to fail. God is orchestrating a narrative in order to get right back to the heart of who, to the heart of his people. So he allows them in this moment to lose the battle. But don't miss this new day. Not only does he allow the people to lose the battle, but also he allows himself to be associated with the losing team. More than that, he allows himself to be shamed. Imagine the nations all around this battle that are hearing the Israelites have lost. The God of the Israelites is defeated. The God of the Israelites has been taken in terms of the ark. And this cycle goes on and on and on where humanity is turning to God and turning away from God and turning to God and turning away from God. But this story in this particular moment, it points to the big story of the whole of humanity. 
because it's just a glimpse, just a glimpse of what was about to happen hundreds of years later, where God's people wouldn't simply have a box to represent the presence of God. But God himself came to be with his people in the form of Jesus Christ. And Jesus started to speak to his people and some people rejected him. And some people carried on worshipping other gods themselves. They were full of pride. And for some people they started to follow him. A small group of people started to say, yes, this is God and I want to follow him. But imagine the day, not when the Ark of the Covenant was taken, but when Jesus Christ himself was taken from the Garden of Gethsemane. The one that the people had put their trust in. The one that had said, this is our hope. This is the Messiah. This is the one that's going to bring us freedom forever and ever and ever. And then all of a sudden he's arrested. And he disappears and he goes on trial. And he goes into the temple with the priests. And they don't like him. And they send him to the Romans. And the Romans basically go through this sort of bargaining. And they're trying to set him free. But then the people are shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And then we're in a situation where Jesus, the son of the living God, is literally carrying a wooden beam up a hill to Calvary where they're going to nail him to a tree. And Jesus Christ, the, the, the literal person of God amongst man, Surrounded by his people, they nail him to a tree. And darkness covers the land. And people walk past the cross and they point at him. And they say, if you are really the Messiah, then bring yourself down. And once again, the people of God are saying, wave your magic wand, do your thing. If you're the real deal, then do something for me. Perform for me. He's been walking with them for years and they've not seen him. They've not seen the face of God. They've not seen him for who he really is to such a degree that they nail him to a tree. Imagine what it would have been like for the disciples at that moment when they're looking on and they're saying, you were supposed to win. You're supposed to win the battle. The hopelessness that fills their hearts. Sometimes being a Christian can feel like we're on the losing team. It can. You guys are going to go back to school, to college, to university, to workplaces. And you may well feel like you're in the minority. You probably will be in the minority. You're going to have whole narratives that start to to push into our culture more and more and more. And it will be more and more hostile towards Christianity. That's a probability. Ladies and gentlemen, just to say, just to pre-warn you, you will often feel like as a Christian going forward that you are on the losing team. Well, guess what? You're in good company because that's exactly what Jesus went through. But there was a bigger plan. There was something else that was going on. Let's carry on with the story of the ark. So the Philistines have taken the ark and they take it away and the Israel nation is over here and they're just like devastated. They're like, God has left the building. Just like the disciples would have been as Jesus dies on the cross and they're just like, we got it wrong. He's dead and he's in the grave. And so the Philistines take the ark and they take it to their temple, Dagon's temple. That's their God. And he's called Dagon. And they put this Ark of the Covenant and they put it in the temple in front of Dagon. And guess what? They go to bed, right? 
And the very next morning when they wake up, Dagon, this massive statue, this massive god that they would worship, and they've sort of put the Ark of the Covenant into the temple like a little bit like a trophy. You know, like we beat the Israelites, we'll put their Ark, they'll put their god in the trophy cabinet. Something I don't know much about being a Tottenham fan and all of that kind of stuff. I know, right? This year's the year though. This year is the year. Don't, don't boo, you don't. You don't need to boo and don't talk about Arsenal. It's not okay. Back to the story with me. Let's go. So, so the Ark of the Covenant's a little bit like a trophy for the Philistines, right? They go to bed, wake up in the morning. Dagon, this great god that they would all worship, great god, I say it's a big statue, not a great god, is face down in front of the Ark. Their god is face down in front of the ark. There was an American preacher who said this, if your God is bowed face down to another God, it's about time you got a new one. Now the Philistines didn't take that advice. I mean, he hadn't said it yet, but they didn't think it. You see, if that's me, I'm in a situation where I'm like, I worship this guy, this is the God of the Israelites, and he's face down, I'm going to stick with this guy. What do the the Philistines do? They take Dagon and they re-erect him. They put him back up. Now, when we listen to a story like that, you're a little bit like, are you an absolute idiot? The Philistines knew the God of Israel. They knew the stories that had come out of Egypt. They knew the plagues that had hit them time and time again in Egypt to see the Israelites come free. They knew who this God was. They had heard all about him, but they had not done this. They had not repented. That thing I talked about earlier, they had not turned and gone, okay, we'll follow him. They stuck it out going the other way. This was another moment where the Philistines could turn and say, obviously this is God. I'm going to turn to him. And they don't do it. They re-erect their God. And it might sound absolutely ridiculous, but guys, are you with me? When I know in my own life, how often do you get to a point where you realize that you've been serving another God? And that God gets exposed And that God makes you feel dirty inside. And that God lets you down. And that God brings harm to you and damage to your life and the people around you. And it gets exposed in a situation maybe like this at New Day. It falls face down. And what do we do? Do we turn from, no, we re-erect it in our lives. Philistines put Dagon back up and they go off to bed again and the next morning they come in to worship their god Dagon and guess what Dagon has fallen down again and this time he's not face down in front of the ark this time he's fallen down and his head has been completely shattered and chopped off his arms are gone and all that is left of him is his torso and legs You see, New Day, when Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, when the whole of the people were looking on, seeing the God-man dying on the cross and darkness covered the land and they bound up his body and they put him in the tomb, it was not game over. It was not the end for Jesus Christ. See, in the midst of the weakness and apathy, in the midst of the sin, in the midst of the darkness that had covered the land in Israel, God was doing a thing with the enemy. Not in their strength. It wasn't because of their prayers. It wasn't because of their good behavior. It wasn't because they got it right or anything like that. But in the midst of their darkness and weakness, to this side, God was defeating their enemy. It's exactly the same at the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are 
doing. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he was winning the greatest victory that has ever been won. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he was dealing with your sin and my sin and your shame and my shame. He was dealing with death once and for all for every single human being that has ever existed if they call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus was not being defeated. Jesus was winning this victory. God cannot be waved around like a magic wand. It's not how we treat him. Before you were born, New Day, before you existed, before you took your first breath, before you had your first crush, before you learned to ride a bike or had some Weetabix, if you're into that kind of thing, before you went out to play on your own for the first time, before you learned to walk or run, before you did the best thing that you've ever done in your life, the thing that you're most proud for, before you did the worst thing in your life, the thing that you're most ashamed about. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the son of the living God, won a victory for you. He won a victory for you. You want to know what's been going on in the last couple of years? You want to know where God's been? You want to know what Jesus has been doing? He's been interceding in front of the Father on your behalf. That's what the Bible tells us, that he prays and intercedes to the Father. I believe with all my heart, with all my heart, that God is doing a thing in the foundations of a generation that is going to see a whole generation turn back to him in a way. Now, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. But that victory that Jesus won 2,000 years ago, even if we've moved away from it, even if we don't live in the good of it day to day, even if we forget about in the darkness of COVID and everything that's happened over the last couple of years, it has not changed. Jesus has won. Jesus has defeated death, has defeated sin once and for all. And we need to refine that place. It's okay, guys. We need to refine that place of understanding this is who our God is. And every day that I walk into school and every day that I walk into college and every situation that I'm going into, I'm going in not simply in the knowledge of who God is, but looking at him and walking with him and being with him in all these different circumstances, despite feeling like I might be on the losing team. I know in the end I am part of something glorious. I am part of something glorious that will be now and forevermore. This is the truth of what's going on at the cross and the resurrection. Now, God doesn't stop there. So this God, going back to the story, Dagon's come down, his head's completely shattered. And then so the Philistines in this particular town, they don't know what to do. And so what they do is they get the ark and they send it out to one of their other cities. They're a little bit like, not being funny, but this God's the real deal, so get him away. So rather than turning to him and bowing the knee, let's get him away from us. And the ark of the covenant starts getting taken from city to city. There were five major cities amongst the Philistines. And every city that the ark went to, plagues broke out and God brought destruction. God was defeating the enemies of Israel one by one and they weren't even part of it. Amazing. And then eventually what happens is that the Philistines say, well, we're going to send the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. 
And so after this little like tour of the Philistine city, the ark comes back to Israel. And what do the Israelites do? The first town that the ark of the covenant comes back to, do they, do they sort of repent and turn back to God and say, God, we've realized the wickedness of our ways and we turn back to you and we recognize that we didn't honor you and uphold you and glorify you in the way that you should be upheld and glorified. No, what happens is that the ark of the covenant comes to the first town and then the people of, of God start looking inside the Ark of the Covenant. And I always refer to this a little bit, you know, when Homer Simpson gets excited about donuts, these people are a little bit like Homer Simpson. So the Ark of the Covenant comes into the town and they're sort of, ooh, ooh, like this. And they take the Ark of You can't do that with God. You can't mess around with God in that kind of way. And so destruction comes even upon that town and then eventually the Ark of the Covenant goes back to the, another group of people and what happens is this is that they consecrate a priest and the priest starts operating accordingly in front of a holy God. And Samuel, a prophet who was a young boy that had started emerging at this time, comes to the Israelites and he says this in chapter 7. And you, day, I just want you to hear this for yourselves. If you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then rid yourselves of foreign gods and of the Ashtoreths And commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. There are moments through history, New Day, even this side of the cross, where whole generations, the people of God, need to hear these words. That if you are returning to God, if you want to return to God with all of your heart, then it is time to get rid of some of the gods and the idols that are in our lives. And I mean that en masse. Commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. New Day, there's certain things that the Lord God wants to do with this emerging generation. It's not going to happen by more tweets, more posts. It's not going to happen through more demonstrations It's not going to happen through more uh, strategic thinking or progressive thinking. It's not going to happen by just chatting to your mates that don't know who God is or just some clever thinking in the morning without looking at the word of God. I tell you this, is that if you want to see the things of God, if you want to see the things of the kingdom of God happen on this continent and across the world, then it is time for us to turn back to God, to seek his face and to rid ourselves of the idols that are distracting us on a daily basis. We are a generation that is too distracted. We are a generation that listens too much to those who aren't in the word of God, too much to those who haven't met him, haven't sought his face. It's not to say that we cut them off. It's not to say that we don't love them. It's not to say that we don't engage with them or or do anything with them. What I'm saying is this, is if you want to see the kingdom of Jesus Christ comes, you've got to get to know Jesus Christ. If you want to see the kingdom of God come, you've got to understand the nature of what he's about and it's time to seek his face. Israel turn back to God at this moment when the Ark of the Covenant comes back and Samuel speaks to them and they turn back to God. And what happens after that is that God wins them a victory. They go to Samuel, they say, pray, the Philistines come for another row. And they pray and this time they win the victory. But more than that, the five Philistine cities 
are given back to Israel, that they are taken in the past, they're restored to them. So as they come through the right passage, through they sacrifice a lamb, like the blood of Jesus Christ, they come back. That's what happens when we repent. We turn back through the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't do it in our own strength. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to give up smoking, or I'm just going to give up doing this, or doing that, whatever, and just try really hard. You know, like you need a nicotine patch or whatever. But when we're talking about sin, you don't just try really hard. You turn back through the person of Jesus Christ, who says, I've paid the price for you. I've dealt with it for you. And so leave that life behind. Now come and follow me. And as Israel turned back through the blood of a sacrificed lamb and they start to move forward and they start to cry out to God and they start to see his face, not only does he start to win them victories, but he starts to restore to them. There's cities, there's whole cities that come back to them. And they end up in this place where Samuel says, we're going to build, put stone on top of stone, an Ebenezer, which is where they lost the first battle. And this Ebenezer is like a monument to remember all that God had done, to remember that God was with them. And tonight, New Day, I guess I want to say this, is that I do believe that it is an opportunity for us to repent and turn back to God together, together, to say, you know what, we have been distracted. How many conversations do you have with people at the minute like, yeah, I'm too busy, and you say to people, are you spending time with God? Yeah, I'm too busy. I'm getting caught out with this. And all these books are coming out and people are telling us to slow down and all that kind of stuff. We need to get it into our hearts. We spend time with the Lord God Almighty when we see his face. I know that we need to get into discipline. I know that we need to get into routine. I get that. The same as you do when you go to the gym or whatever. But let me tell you this. When you see the face of God, you want more. And for some of us, we're trying to see the face of God and really we're just seeing his hands. It's like, what can we get out? What can I get out of this relationship? And we're trying to make, wave the magic wand. Yeah, I believe in God. When things go wrong, I pray and hopefully he'll do something. And that's not what it's about at all. The Lord God is saying, turn back to me and see my face. And I tell you, when we see his face, when we see his glory, when we see the reality of who God is, we're going to want more and more and more and more. And as we seek his face, we become more and more like him. And we become his hands and his feet. And we start to see things and do things where we see the kingdom of God starting to come. And I tell you, right across this nation, there are things that God has, God opportunities for you to do. But it doesn't come through doing the things that you're doing right now. It doesn't. I have so many conversations with people where they sort of say, well, that's just, you know, God meets us in our mess. And of course God meets you in your mess. He's rescued you out of the mess. Like we heard last night, he's brought you into the house. So when we're in the house, if there's idols, if there's idols and gods inside the house, we reject them. We turn them out because of what he has done. One day we're going to see him face to face and I tell you what, the gods of this age and the idols of this age and the things that entertain us and occupy our hearts will be embarrassing, embarrassing when we come to see his face. And I just want to say for some of you it's time to get serious. And I know it might sound a bit strong, I think that's a sign of the age. Because sometimes when we preach, we we preach half the gospel. Turn from your life and turn to the Lord God Almighty. Don't bring it with you. He's gracious for that. He loves you. He's compassionate. This isn't a salvation thing. Like It's not going to kick you out because you've got it wrong. But don't entertain it. Don't be like an Eli. Don't be like an Eli's son where you're like, well, you know, we'll just deal with that one day. I tell you one day, you're going to see him face to face. 
One of the hardest seasons I ever went through was when God struck me. The fear of God hit my heart because of the sin in my life and I was a Christian. It wasn't just the moment that I came to him. There was that moment the first time I came to him. But I tell you, he showed me the gravity of sin. He showed me the reality and the grotesque nature of the cross. And it floored me. Floored me because of what was going on in my life. But he didn't do it because he wanted to crush me. He did it because he's my dad and he loves me. And he wanted to turn my head. And he wanted me, don't need to, just just wait a sec. He wanted to turn my head. Ben, it's time to get rid of that stuff. That stuff is doing you no good. It's robbing you. It's deceiving you. There's things I've got for you. There's things that I want you to do and you're caught up and you're entangled and you're ensnared with all this stuff. It's time to get rid of it. And the way that he did that in my life was that he caused me to repent. He shook my foundations. It hurt. It was embarrassing at moments because I had to confess sin to brothers. It was public sometimes. New day. To every generation represented here, I want to say this. I've had so many conversations on it. And do we need to repent about this? And do we need to repent about that? Listen, when it comes to it where I'm at, the way I'm seeing things, and, you know, take it or leave it and weigh it before the Lord God Almighty. I believe God's shaken the foundations of the world. I also believe he's shaken the foundations of the church. And church, it's time to repent. It's time to get serious about God and turn to him. It's time to start seeking his face. Not looking at his ankles or his feet. What can I get hold of God? It's time to seek his face and to abandon the things that are distracting us and run to him. So tonight's an opportunity to do exactly that. That Ebenezer, that monument that was built by Samuel to say, hasn't God done all these things? We need to remember, God's done it. He's done it. At the cross and through his resurrection. This year, people were talking to me saying, Oh, this will be the year that we remember New Day for not having a big top. I said, God forbid it. God forbid it that we remember New Day 2022 for not having a big top. I said, Great, that could be the beginning of a sentence. New Day 2022, we didn't have a big top, and that was the year that God did this, this thing, where we saw a generation turn back to him where we saw an outpouring of the Spirit, where we saw young lives come running back to Jesus Christ. Because that's what this is about, New Day. It's about Him, and it's about His people. It ain't about a big top or a stage. It ain't about any individual other than one, and His name is Jesus, and He deserves the glory, and Him and Him alone. (laughs) New Day, I just want you to, to... There's just an opportunity... An opportunity tonight to say this. I've already said, when you go back home, you know it's going to be tough. I know it's going to be tough. I've got little boys growing up. And I see what's taught. And I see some of the narratives that they come back with from school. And quite frankly, it ain't Christian. And that's okay. They'll do fine. And and they can be in that environment. And that's all good. But don't be under any illusion. And this is where we need to reset ourselves a little bit. That as a Christian, you're not meant to just fit in with the world. You're not a citizen of the world, you're a citizen of heaven. And so you're supposed to bring something different to the world, not run with the flow. 
That's not the job of the Christian. The job of the Christian is to seek his face and bring the kingdom into that environment, light into darkness. It's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. But tonight's the night where we say, God, forgive us for where we have made the Christian life about something it shouldn't be. And tonight we are choosing to pursue you with all of our hearts. And if there's anything that we need to get rid of, we're going to get rid of it. But from this day forth, as Christians, as New Day, God is going to be our primary agenda and at the centre of everything that we do. Straight down the line. So right now, why don't you just close your eyes right across this place. And if you're here tonight, I'm just about to do two things. The first thing is this is that for some of us, we need to just get to the point where we recognize, I'm a believer, I follow Jesus, but there are idols in my life, and it's time to see them gone. And tonight, just like the Lord God has defeated the enemy once and for all, he's going to deal with some idols in this place. After that, I want to talk to us on mass. But right now, don't start moving. If if you're moving around, just stop for a second, just just to honor people in the field. With everyone's eyes closed right now, if you know that there's things in your life that you want to turn away from, so it's this repent moment. I'm talking to those of you that are Christian and you're thinking there are things in my life that I'm entertaining and I just know it doesn't honor God and I want to turn from it and walk in the other direction through the grace of Jesus Christ. Why don't you just stand up wherever you are right now? Let's, don't clap, guys. Let's just have a moment. You don't need to clap, guys. It's okay. Right. Now, just listen to me. Just either listen to my voice if you want. If you're going to open your eyes, then that's fine. But look at me. Don't look at your mates. Now, this is an important moment. It's a really important moment. So we've led people through salvation prayers where we say, God, forgive us for the very first time. Come into my life. Well, I'm going to lead you in a similar type of prayer. This is a serious moment for you and him. You know him. You know him and he's gracious and he's brought you to this moment because he loves you and wants you. This isn't about you getting in trouble. This isn't about him wanting to crush you. This is about him wanting to serve you so that you see his face. And so right now, all across this place, why don't you just follow this prayer? You might want to speak it out. You might want to say it in your head. That's absolutely fine. Father God, I'm sorry for allowing the idol of, and now you might want to fill in that gap in your life. Sorry that I have worshipped a God that isn't you. Sorry that I've been distracted from who you are. Father, I feel so weak. I feel so unable to defeat this God. Father, I recognize that I don't have to. Because you are the one who will. And you are the one who has. And so tonight, Father, I want to turn from this way of life. And I want to turn to you. Thank you that you forgive me. Thank you that I'm welcome in your arms. And I pray that you would help me to see your face.
I want to take this seriously. I want to clean out the house. I want to pursue purity and righteousness. And I thank you that's how you see me. Now I'm just going to pray for you. Father God, I thank you that every person standing right now is declared righteous in your sight because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray that they would know that and that you'd give them strength and grace to turn away from some of the things that are muddling their lives right now. A new day, just as these people are standing who have already sort of said that they want to pursue Jesus. If you're here today and just as a whole... Now, I just want to lead us in a prayer where we say as a generation that we're going to make Jesus the centerpiece. If you want to join in with that prayer, why don't you just stand with me as well? And just close your eyes. You might want to lift your hands. It's a a real moment here for us, New Day. If you are truly returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then let's rid ourselves of foreign gods and commit ourselves to the Lord and serve him only. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would forgive us where we have allowed you to be diminished amongst our generation. And Lord God, I pray for everyone across this site, for the young and for the old, for men and for women. I pray that we would play our part in glorifying the reality of who you are in the everyday. I pray in schools and colleges and universities. Lord, I pray for the workplaces. I pray that you would inspire and give creativity to make Jesus known. I pray for steadfast hearts, Lord God, that will stand when a crowd turns and goes the other way. When people are humiliated for the name of Jesus, I pray that you'd give them courage to go on standing. When people feel alone and isolated because of their faith, I pray that you'd remind them that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Father, I pray for a radical turning back to you in this generation. I pray for a fire in our hearts, Lord God, that would not be content for anything but seeing the face of who you are. I pray that we would be known as a generation that seeks your face, that worships you, that honours you, that is not content to allow sin and apathy into the house of the Lord. We would be a people that know your grace, that know your mercy, but that we would take sin seriously. Father, I want to ask in the name of Jesus for young people all across this field tonight, for fresh anointing to see your kingdom come. I want to pray for preachers and evangelists. I want to pray for prophets that hear and see what you're doing. Father, I want to pray for pastors and teachers and apostles, Lord God. Lord, I pray in your name 
that we would be a generation that would be content with nothing less than seeing your face. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.